So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. We'll begin in verse 15. Romans 6, beginning in verse 15. Follow along as I read God's word to you. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented yourselves, your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Amen. Let's come to God in prayer. Almighty God, as we come to study this all-important topic, help us to focus. Help us to focus as we look into your most holy and living word. Spirit of God, give us understanding. Illumine our hearts and minds and be our teacher today. Above all, as we study the freedom of the will, align our wills with yours. Unite our hearts to fear your name. We pray not Our will, but yours be done. Lord, this is true freedom. The freedom for which Christ has set us free. Free to honor and glorify our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Listen to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, 12, as the prophet tells us of Satan. Isaiah 14, 12 says this. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How thou art cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart, you have said in your heart, in other words, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. Listen to verse 14. Satan said to himself, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Before sin entered and corrupted the world of men, it entered into and corrupted an angel, Lucifer by name in Isaiah 14. And then, and then all of the angelic hosts who followed in the same, according to Revelation 12.9. The sin that originated in Satan was that of pride. He said to himself, he said, I will be like the Most High. You see, he, he wanted to be, he wanted to be God, to ascend, to be exalted. He, he wanted to sit on God's throne 
It was the sin of pride that turned this anointed cherub into a devil. It was sin that turned the angelic hosts into demons. And friends, if that's what sin does to angels, what do you think it does to us? Now in the providence of a sovereign and good God, this snake was allowed into the garden. Without hesitation and wasting no time, Genesis 3 he struck up a conversation with the woman and he asked her a question, you remember. And he was questioning God's word. And and then he lied to her. Verse 4 of Genesis 3, he said this, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And listen to this, you will be like God. Satan tempted her with the very same temptation that led to his undoing. He himself said to himself, I will be like God. And let me just say, as you well know, beloved, Satan is a liar. But he was, he was not lying when he said, you will be like God. Because you see, sin has deceived us such that we say to ourselves now, no one's the boss of me. I, I, am, I am my own God, determining my own life, doing as I well please, according to my own definitions of what I deem to be good, true, right, and wrong. I hold the keys to my own destiny. By my own knowledge, I will determine what is good and evil. You see, sin, while it kills and corrupts and destroys, part of that corruption, part of that destruction, has to do with the corrupting of the creator-creature distinction in our minds. Part of that corruption and the downfall of sin is that the creator-creature distinction is distorted in our minds. Sin says, I'm like God. I am God in my own life. And then, man becomes the measure of all things, such that we reign supreme in our own lives. We say in our own hearts, I will ascend. I I will sit on the throne. I will be Lord of my own life. Satan wasn't lying to Eve in this regard. She did become like God in the sense that she, she became supreme in her own life, sin having corrupted the creator-creature distinction. This is how she thought of herself in her own mind. This knowledge, this approach, this, this sin, this, this pride destroyed and corrupted her and her husband and thus Adam's fallen race. Now, what Eve should have said that day, she should have said, I'm already like God. I was made in His image. I was made according to His likeness. She should have acknowledged her Creator and her own creatureliness. She should have said, 
why should I want to be like Him? He, he is my Creator, and I am forever His creation. His creature, I, I am His daughter. He is my Father. He is Lord of my life and in my life. The creature can never become the Creator. Well, unfortunately, that's not what she said, and you know how the story ends. Beloved, the effects of sin upon humanity and upon creation are incalculable. And listen, friends, I believe that man's battle for autonomy rages on this front line, the sovereignty of God and the freedom of the human will. Man has tried since the fall to be like God, to be in control, to be sovereign in his own or her own life, to be, in a very real sense, free from God to be self-determining and and autonomous. And what so many mean by free, as you well know, is, is free from God. Free to deny Him as I well please. Our second point this afternoon, Martin Luther and Jonathan Edwards. Now, Martin Luther, the 16th century German reformer, interpreting Romans 6, the passage that I just read to you, interpreting Romans 6, He says this, Man, according to Paul, is enslaved by sin. Therefore, discussions of freedom are meaningless. (laughs) End quote. The will of man, free from God, is not free at all, but enslaved. End of discussion, says Luther. And I like that, simple, plain, and to the point. And Luther goes on, he says, Man cannot act independent of God, of his creator. If he could, then his freedom would rule and reign over God. The error of free will is that it ascribes divinity to man's will. If man's will is ultimate, if man's will is self-determining and autonomous, then there is no need for grace. Because man can simply choose salvation. Then salvation would depend upon man, upon the exercise of his free will. It would depend upon man and not ultimately upon God. In the freedom battle, it is God's divine will or ours. And Luther says, as you know, God wins. God wins. A God who depends upon man, upon man's choice, a God who depends upon man to choose so that salvation might be possible is not God. Beloved, Luther is right. And forget that. Paul's right. Forget Luther at at one point. Paul's right. Friends, there are two books, mind you, Two of the most important books that I believe have ever been written outside of the Bible. Two books that that I cannot help but mention. Two books that have, I believe, settled the matter for all time. The conclusion of the matter, if you will. The first, as I'm mentioning, is Martin Luther's, which was written in the 16th century, his magnum opus. The title is this. Listen to the title. The, The entire book's in the title. The Bondage of the Will. He was responding to a to a Roman Catholic humanist 
named Erasmus, Luther essentially destroys the greatest humanist scholar in the 16th century. And I've just summed up his argument. Now, the second work written by Jonathan Edwards in the 18th century, approximately 200 years after Luther, Edwards wrote, having Luther in mind. And in a stroke of pure genius, Edward titled his work, The Freedom of the Will. The Freedom of the Will. Luther's title, The Bondage of the Will. Edward's title, The Freedom of the Will. And let me just say that Edwards and Luther were in total agreement. These titles are not mutually exclusive. They are not contradictory expressions. No, they were saying the same thing from different perspectives. And so my goal today will be to demonstrate and unpack for you the glorious doctrine, hear it now, of God's absolute divine freedom. And thus, how that relates to and determines what the will of man is and how it functions. Just so you know what I'm doing, I'm going to mix Luther and Edwards but lean heavily upon Edwards. Now, some of you are already like, well, Pastor Eric, shouldn't we stick to the Bible? To which I say, be quiet. That is exactly what we're doing. I am just telling you about those who have helped me along the way, those who have helped me to think most biblically about the Bible. Okay, we've done two points already. This goes fast, doesn't it? Thirdly now, God's creation, material and immaterial. The material creation and the immaterial creation. Again, we have the creator-creature distinction in mind. Now, when we think of creation, we often think of the material creation. The sun, the moon, the stars. We think of the creatures, lions and tigers and bears. We, We think of the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. We think of As we think of the material creation, the vastness of the universe, billions upon billions of galaxies, the vastness of it all. We we also think of not just vastness, but precision. We think of the intricate details of the molecular, the cellular, the atomic, and even the subatomic. We think of quantum physics and, and Newtonian physics, quantum mechanics, classical mechanics. We think of the the vastness and the beauty of the creation on a macro scale, but also on a micro scale. And friends, it's all rather mind-blowing that God created out of nothing, as the Latins say, ex nihilo, by divine fiat, by his word, let there be, and there absolutely was and is. And listen, as mind-blowing as the physical material creation is, God has also created invisible realities, invisible realities that are just as vast and and just as detailed, even though they're not necessarily quantifiable. Forces, principles, laws that that we humans have, have tried to identify with things like equations and or theorems. Turn with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1. In Colossians 1, Paul is describing the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Speaking of Christ and His supremacy over creation, 
which he refers to as both visible and invisible. Listen to Colossians 1. Let's start in verse 15. He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And now, Christians, I, 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 don't, I don't think we fully appreciate the creative genius of the divine mind. God, beloved, invented time. He invented time. Time exists in sequential interval fashion because God invented and then implemented it. God who sits outside of time in timeless existence, he invented time and our experience of it. Romans 11.36, a verse you know, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Beloved, think with me a little deeper about invisible creation, the invisible realities that God created. For example, the Bible says this, 1 John 4.8, that God is is love. That's a very, at face value, a very simple expression. In other words, God defines what love is. Love is invisible, but real. Love is not tangible or quantifiable, but the reality of love is undeniable. Love, and it's, it's true, its definition and meaning is determined by God himself. Listen, friends, God defines and designs our concept of what love is. God is, therefore, love can be. And not only does God define and design, but He creates and invents our experience of it, our experience of love. The fact that we can love and be loved is something that God designed and then implemented. Many of you engineers understand this. This is an invisible reality that is played out in physical creation. As intricate as the human body is, so the human soul. From the circulatory system to the anatomy of a cell, so too with our soul. The complexity and simplicity of personality, of emotion and emotionality. God designed all of it, our experiences, our ability to experience emotion and to emote. It's all designed, you see. In other words, God defines love. Love is what it is because God is who he is. That very concept exists in human experience because God created and implemented it in creation. And he even designs our experience. Now that is mind-blowing. There are other invisible realities that we could spend all day unpacking, but we don't have time. But I mentioned this one to get your gears turning. Scripture teaches in other places that God is light. I am the truth, the life. He said to Moses in Exodus 3, I am the great I am. In other words, God himself defining existence. 
I was speaking to my wife in the car on the way here. Friends, God doesn't exist. He is existence. I am that I am. He defines reality and all that is. I am timeless deity. Who, his existence defines everything that is. Timeless deity who lives, as it were, in the eternal present. No beginning, no end. The great I am. Now, beloved, not only did God create material and immaterial, but God is the creator, and we move on to our fourth point here, and the sustainer of all that is. He, he, not, only, he not only creates, but he sustains that creation. He, he is not distant or removed, as the deists teach, but he is imminent and involved. For he is the creator and sustainer of all that is. Listen to Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist. Hebrews 1.3. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the author of Hebrews says, He, he upholds all things by the word of His power. And so, not only did God create, but He is also the sustainer of that creation. He creates out of nothing by divine fiat, and He upholds and sustains all of it at every moment of its existence. And friends, if He were to skip a beat, if God, if God were, were to, as it were, hiccup and skip a beat, uh, perhaps, he, perhaps He's distracted for a moment and, and, and He blanks out if he were to doze off in a daydream, then everything that is would vortex into non-existence. Everything would spiral into non-existence. God, God is the creator and the sustainer. God is transcendently God, higher than the highest heavens. But he is also imminent, sustaining and maintaining at every level. Listen to Psalm 139. The psalmist says, Where can I go from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If, if I take the wings of the morning or dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your right hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. Beloved, if God created it all, if he sustains it all, upholding all things by the word of his power, visible and invisible realities, if he defines existence, if he determines reality, truth as we know it, then he as God, as the Almighty, as the Lord of the universe, has power over everything that was, that is, and that will ever be. And as such, he can do whatever he wants, with whomever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. God Almighty is not constrained by the creature or anything in the creation. The only thing that God is bound to is his own word, the promise that he has made, but that by his own initiative and his own prerogative. 
He will never, he will never in the exercise of his sovereign freedom violate his own word. For God cannot and will not deny himself. God is free. He is not constrained or circumscribed. Friends, the freedom of God is implied in words like sovereignty or omnipotence. Yea, in the very concept of God is implied His freedom. This is what it means to be divine or Lord. To be bound or limited is to not be God. To not be sovereign is to not be God. To to argue that God is not sovereign is to argue that He's not God. To argue that God is contingent or dependent upon man's choice is to turn the Creator into a creature. And that, beloved, is blasphemy. But as the Scripture clearly teaches, God is God, and He has not abdicated or given away His deity. He has not renounced His throne. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. Listen to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 4.35. We've heard a series in Daniel, have we not? Nebuchadnezzar says this. Upon repentance, he says, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he does according to his will in the hosts of heaven. And no one can stay his hand or say to him, What hast thou done? Nobody. Now, we come to the freedom of God, God's freedom, and man's freedom. Okay, here we are. Friends, God is sovereign. I think we get that. We're pretty reformed here. God exercises His sovereign will as He pleases, freely, if you will. Now, I'm not going to belabor that point any further. So here we transition. How then, how then does this relate to man? In what sense, in what way do humans exercise their wills? Are we free? And I say humans because I want to maintain the creator-creature distinction as we turn to talk about human will or human volition. That's a big word. Volition is the faculty or power of using one's will, the ability to exercise one's will. And so as we turn to talk about human will and volition, and as we turn to talk about really freedom within our human experience. Now please note and keep this in mind, like always, we, the creature, can never, we, we can never get under over or outside of the Creator. We we have to just, we have to agree. We can, as creatures, we can never get under, over, or outside of the Creator. We live, operate, think, and exist in God's world. This is my Father's world. He is Lord. His sovereignty and Lordship are inescapable. And He has not and would not create, He would not create a sentient being, a conscious being, whose will or whose exercise of will is somehow outside of his lordship. If that were the case, then then God would have made a bunch of rocks that he can't lift. 
self-determining, autonomous, sovereign beings that he has no jurisdiction over and no power over, which is an absolute absurdity on its face. Because the will itself, the human will, volition and choice, these are all part of God's invisible creation. They are all part of his design. God created and designed the human experience. That is to say, your ability to choose, to exercise your will, to accept or to decline, to choose this over that. Beloved, the will is a mechanism. It is designed by God himself, designed after the pattern of the creator, to be sure. But the will itself is simply a mechanism whereby choices are made. The exercise of our will, our human will, is what it means to be human. And remember, we exercise our human will as creatures, as created beings. God, who is not human, God, who is not creature, who is not created, He, beloved, is wholly other. His existence defines reality. God is a being who is in a class all his own. There is nothing and no one like him in as much as he is divine. I've heard it said that God is not a God. He is Godness itself. Therefore, the exercise of his will is going to be categorically different than the way we exercise our wills, the way humans experience their wills. One does so as the creator, the other as a creature. The freedom of the will, any will, divine or human, is and should be defined, hear it now, here's the definition. Here's my definition of a free will. The exercise of any will, human or divine, is simply this, the ability to choose and the ability to exercise one's will. God exercises His divine will and therefore He is free. His is a divine freedom which is ultimate and all-determining. Man exercises human will and is therefore free. Freedom being the ability to exercise your will. His is a freedom that corresponds to his nature. Man's freedom corresponds to his nature. In other words, God's freedom is a sovereign, divine freedom. Man's freedom is human freedom. One that exists within the created order. And I want you to see, and you must see, that God's freedom, divine freedom, is not one and the same as our freedom, as human freedom. Sinful humanity, since the fall, wants to be God. They want to exercise divine, sovereign freedom. But that is an absolute absurdity on its face. We cannot go beyond the created order. We are constrained by our natures. We cannot and we will never exercise divine freedom Creator freedom. 
because we are creatures. And sin has so deceived us that we think we can be God. And as such, we've convinced ourselves that the human will is ultimate. As if the human will is self-determining and sovereign. And that deception, beloved, is a product of sin. It is a satanic lie. And it is as old as the garden. So wait, you might, okay, pause. So um, I'm confused here. Okay, God is free. But then are we free? What you're describing is that, is that true freedom? Okay, yes, yes. That's my answer. We are free. Uh, We're absolutely free. Not like God is free, but we are nonetheless free. Free like humans are free in as much as we exercise our will. That's the definition of a free will. The ability to choose. So are we free? Absolutely. But we're not free like God is free. Here's a simple illustration, okay? We used to have a fish. Used to. It was buried at sea, if you know what I mean. We used to have a fish. A fish is free to be a fish. A dog, which we don't have and probably will never have, is free to be a dog. They exercise a freedom that is defined by their nature. While both are free, a fish is not free to be a dog. That fish can try to be a dog, but that will, oh, it will only demonstrate that that fish is out of its mind. And so you get the point. Sinful man wants creator freedom. They want sovereign divine freedom. But that is not how God made man. Sin has so deceived us that we think we can be God, that we can be like God in this sense. And so are we free? Yes. But our freedom is constrained by our nature, by our human nature, and that by the Creator's design. Okay, so then you're going to ask, well, okay, well, well, then in what sense are we free? Define what freedom is again. What then is the nature of our freedom? It's really simple. Freedom is simply the ability to do whatever you want. Okay? That's freedom. The ability to do whatever you want. Of course, your freedom is constrained by your nature. I, I have to go home after this, and I cannot choose to teleport home. Okay? I cannot choose, you know what? Jen, you drive, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly home. I can't sprout wings out of my back. I can't choose to fly home tonight. The exercise of my freedom accords to my human nature. But, but freedom is simply choosing doing what you want. That is what freedom is. And, and our choice will always, and, and without exception, be determined. We will choose always and without exception on the basis of the strongest inclinations and desires of our hearts. 
We choose and will according to the strongest desires of our hearts. That is freedom. That is the definition of freedom. This is why Edwards wrote freedom of the will to say that. By way of analogy, God's free will is exercised in that he does whatever he wants. He chooses and exercises his will according to the strongest desire of his heart. And that desire, God's end, is the glory of his name, that he be honored and glorified and his name exalted. Therefore, his will is is exercised to that end. He does according to his will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. He does what he wants. God wants God to be glorified. Listen to Proverbs 16.4. You go to these hard passages to prove these truths. Proverbs 16.4 says this, The Lord has made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of destruction. Again, Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Now in a similar fashion, our human will is exercised in the same. We choose what we want. We live according to the strongest desire and inclination of our heart. And because we are by nature children of wrath, because the strongest inclination of our heart is sin. Friends, we will thus choose against God. We will choose to be Lord in our own lives, to live for self and not God, because our our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. We, We always choose and exercise our wills according to that end, according to the strongest inclination of our heart. The strongest desire of our souls is to sin. We are sinners after all. And so we freely choose. We do what we want, living and choosing to that end. And so our will is free because we do what we want. And this, beloved, is what Luther and Paul called, as I get you back to Romans 6, slavery to sin, the bondage of the will. The will, in other words, is held captive by our desires. And it is exercised the will according to those desires. And thus, we freely choose sin. Our will is exercised to that end because our sinful nature makes sin the strongest desire of our hearts. We don't want God. And therefore, we will never choose Him until God comes. Until God comes. Until the Holy Spirit, through the instrumentality of His Word, comes. Until the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, comes and regenerates and renews and makes us, hear it now, new creatures, new creations. And we have and are given 
new desires and new passions and Godward purposes so that the strongest desire and inclination of our hearts is God and to see Him glorified. Therefore, when God by His grace regenerates us, we will exercise our wills to His ends. And we will freely choose Him. And doing what we want will be doing what God wants because He has transformed us and made us new. Paul says that that we who were once slaves to sin have been set free from sin and we have become what? Slaves of righteousness. Friends, we all have a master. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Are you mastered by sin or by God? The Bible says that our wills are bound to our master, whether to sin or to God. The former is slavery bondage. The latter is also, it is also a slavery of sorts, but what the Bible refers to as true freedom, so that we freely choose God and righteousness For He becomes and has become the strongest inclination and desire of our heart. And the only one who could have created those desires and changed your fundamental nature is God Himself. Luther and Edwards were not saying different things, but simply the same thing from different perspectives. From the bird's eye, Luther was saying that God's sovereignty is essential and inescapable. But Edwards was looking at it from the worm's eye, defining freedom as simply the exercise of the mechanism that we refer to as the will. Fundamentally, they were saying exactly the same thing, teaching and unpacking the doctrine of Scripture. This, beloved, is nothing but the gospel of our salvation in Jesus. And so when we call sinners to repent, when we call them to faith and salvation, we recognize that they must choose. They must forsake sin and embrace Christ. And we know that the means that God has ordained for the salvation of sinners is the preaching of the gospel. But they cannot and will not respond Unless God has mercy, unless God, by His grace, converts, transforms, and regenerates the sinner. Otherwise, they will not want Him. Their hearts will not desire Him. And thus, they will not choose Him. Now, we're done. But I want to take a few minutes to tell you why understanding this issue and getting it right is critical. Firstly, it will change the way you view God, His sovereignty, His supremacy over creation, and humanity in particular. Secondly, your worldview will change if you understand this. The way you understand and perceive the world will change. 
Thirdly, your view of yourself will change. You will understand your need for God's grace in a whole new light. Fourthly, and there's just a few more, your view of others will change, namely non-believers. You will see that, that it is God that they need and that only God can re- regenerate. Only God can convert. Fifthly, it will change the way you evangelize. You will focus on being clear in your presentation of the gospel. Preaching sin, depravity, and the grace of God in Christ as a priority. Lastly, and very to the point, we exercise our free will every day. We make choices every day at every moment. And thus we should ask at every moment, why? Why do I do what I do? What do I want? And I hope and pray that in all of our asking, we would be able to say at the end of the day, ultimately, whether I eat or drink, or whatever I do, I do all for the glory of God. As a slave of righteousness, free from the bondage of sin, freed to serve the living God with all of my life. Let's pray together. Eternal God, we come before you confessing that as we study this topic, it grinds against our pride. We want to be our own gods, autonomous creatures who rule and reign in our own little made-up worlds. But this will never be, for we are not God and will never be God. We are forever finite creatures. We confess this sin. We confess that all of our sins and sinful desires, they try to usurp your sovereign reign, but that is foolish. The creature will never usurp the Creator. Forgive us, Lord, as we have come to understand our wills and yours. Humble us and and conform us more and more into the image of your Son who prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Forgive us, Lord, and sanctify us, for, for it is in Christ that we have placed all of our trust, all of our faith, all of our hope. This, we confess, is true freedom, the freedom for which Christ has set us free. And now, as we walk in the freedom and liberty of the sons and daughters of God, we glorify your holy name. As our worship continues by the power of your Spirit, and plant this eternal truth down deep into our hearts. This we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.